<laughs> dun, dun, dun. We're talking about the music for this. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. A few things. Uh, if y'all would take a few moments and fill out that Connect card, you'll find them in the pockets in front of you there. Take a few moments and fill them out, and then later on at the end of service, uh, just drop them in the boxes you'll see by the uh, doorway where ties offerings and that goes. Just drop them in there. You know, a connect card is how we stay in touch with you, how we can pray for you that's on the backside, or maybe great things are going on and we can praise God alongside of you. Um, there's a few things going on, uh, but something, why was that? Oh, well, it's gone. It was there and it's gone now. Uh, Oh, there it is. I remember now. So that's why, that's why I have the whole thing scripted, okay? So uh, with the, as long as I got these out, um, we are in the process of doing our church directory, and we're just doing some fine-tuning on it. Uh, so you'll find one um, in the back corner out there in the lobby. Just quick check it over one more time. Make sure that we've got, you know, your name spelled right, address, and all that stuff uh, written out there. Uh, we'll be printing some up for next week for folks who want it. It's electronic. We can send it to you. Now, it's not going to be on our website, so you're not going to be able to go and click it and bring it in because I just don't want it out there for everybody and their brother, okay, to be honest for you. So if you'd like one sent to you, we'll send it out in a link in our email, that prayer email that we send out, our midweek memo, if you want to call it that, that we send out. Uh, We'll put a link in there. If you don't get that, but you'd like that, um, you know, put your email address on there. We'll be happy to do that. Or maybe, maybe you don't have internet at your house. Uh, yeah. We live in a technological age, and I, I have to stand on my porch on one leg facing the sun to get signal at my house. So if you'd like... If you'd like us to print one for you, just, just note it on the back of the Connect card. Hey, could you print one up for me? And we'll slap your name on it, and it'll be available next week. That way we'll know for sure. And if, if it doesn't happen, you can always call the office or, oh, I forgot. Could you please print it for me? It might take another day or three, but we'll get to you, okay? So please, do take a moment to do that. Uh, today, uh, after our service, we're going to be breaking for about an hour at 1 o'clock, or at 1 o'clock, there will be calling hours for Ann Watson. Ann Watson has been a, an attender member here for years, and uh, she passed away uh, this past week. We're doing her funeral here today. At 1 o'clock is the calling time, if you will, to meet family and things. 2 o'clock will be service. And uh, at the end of service, there is going to be a meal. So if you do come for the service, please plan on staying, because I know there was a lot of food prepared and things like that. So please plan on staying. Next Sunday, February 11th, we are having youth groups, so that's going to be happening immediately following service. About 11.30, we'll get started with that. On the 12th, we have senior lunch. Uh, we don't check IDs at the door, so you don't have to tell us how old you are when you come. But senior lunch uh, starts at noon. It's time to gather, to share life together with other folks. So please come and invite somebody to come with you. It's a ball. It's a good time. It's had by all. And we're in here. It's a short meal. The whole thing takes about an hour, maybe a little bit longer, but in that hour ballpark. We begin at noon, but always feel free to come a little early and sit and visit. And on the 14th, Wednesday, February 14th, is not only Valentine's Day, gentlemen, there's your reminder, it's also Ash Wednesday. So Ash Wednesday, uh, what we're going to do is open up the sanctuary at about 10 a.m.-ish or thereabouts. Uh, we'll have directions on that screen and that screen. Coming on in, taking a moment or two to pause, to, to pray. You know, Lent is a time of reflection. Reflecting on all that God has done for you, what his salvation has meant to you and for you. 
And so, you know, sitting and doing that, we'll have music playing. Then coming on up to the altar, on one side we'll have a basket. Lent isn't just about, oh, I got to give something up. It's about reconnecting with our faith, reconnecting with Christ. And so there'll be some paper there. Write something. If you're going to give something up, go ahead, write it. That's fine. More importantly, though, what are you going to do to reconnect? Maybe it's I'm going to you know, spend 10 more minutes in the morning sitting with God. I, I, I'm going to read a chapter a day out of the Gospels. I'm going to, whatever, okay, whatever. Write that and just drop it in the basket we'll have here. Ash Wednesday comes from the tradition of ashes on the forehead. That's not our tradition. Nothing wrong with that tradition. Nothing at all. But it's a nice thing to have to remember, right? So I have some black pebbles. You know, just pick up a pebble and put it in your pocket. And carry that throughout Lent. So when you go digging for your keys, there's that pebble to remind you. You go digging for your change, there's that pebble to remind you. Drop it in your purse, in your bag, wherever. Just as that way to remind you, this is what Christ did for me. I think I covered it all. A little long-winded, but I got there. As we open our service, Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are your works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious, majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Father God, as we gather together today, we do so because you are gracious, because you are compassionate to us and for us. Father, we worship you. We adore you. We say thank you for all you have done for us. And even as we think of an upcoming funeral, Annie and, and others who have many things on their hearts, we pray that you will lift hearts, that they will be focused on your love and your compassion, even during those times, that your presence is with them. Father, we invite you to fill not only this space, but our hearts with you today and every day. Amen. Let's stay together as we begin our worship. Yeah. 
Oh 
and day. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in no way. The same God who's never laid is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your
can renew our strength. And for those that are hurting, I want to lift them up to you this morning. And we'll choose to praise you in the middle of blessings and challenges and trials. Whatever needs there are, Father, we know there's nothing you can't do. Lift that up to you this morning in Jesus' name. Your glory, God, is what our hearts 
We'll try again. <laughs> Scripture reading this morning is Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 5 and 6 and 9. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not moan or weep, for the people had been weeping as they were listening to the words of the law. Will you pray with me? Father, we come this morning to worship you. We are here to praise you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Even though we are not worthy, you continue to hold your arms out to us. Thank you for bringing us together as a family. We thank you for Anne and her life here with us. We pray for her family and ask that you would comfort them. We miss her, Lord, but help us to hold on to the fact that she is with you. It seems like our church family has experienced a lot of loss. And we pray that you would bring comfort to all those who are grieving. We pray for those who are facing surgery, 
and we ask that you would bring them full recovery. Be with those who are sick or are in pain. Even though we have not had a lot of snow, winter is very depressing for time for many. May the sunshine that we are getting bring a newfound hope to them. Be with our nation and its leaders. May they look to you as they make decisions. We pray for the families and loved ones of the three who were lost their lives serving their country this week. As we go through this week, may we serve you and show Christ in all that we say or do. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8 today, so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If there's also Bibles in the pews in front of you, if, you, if you'd like them. Uh, the, 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 when I'm doing verses and stuff, they will be up on the screen, but just if you want to see in context and stuff, it's Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, before we get started, Vincent, I have a dad joke for you. What's the best, the best gift you can give somebody? Yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> a broken drum. Nobody can beat it. So. Oh! And after that performance today, uh, so. <laughs> We've been looking at Nehemiah, and, and he's been a really, really busy guy. He starts with a broken heart, and, and he stays uh, in, front of the God, in front of the Lord, uh, his heart is broken because of the plight of Jerusalem and, and what's going on there. He's in mourning for several months. He speaks to the most powerful guy on the face of the earth at that time, King Artaxerxes, about the land, about his people group. You see, Nehemiah was not born in Israel. He was born in captivity, and yet he knew the history of his people. He knew the God of his people. Then Nehemiah, Nehemiah journeyed to Jerusalem and shared his passion, standing up to a couple of bullies along the way by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah. And finally, the gates, the towers, the walls are complete. And it's a time of celebration. The people gathered together, not to have a party, but to have the laws of Moses read to them. Now, I know, I'm a bit different. Thank you for pointing that out. But I enjoy reading Leviticus and Numbers. I know not everybody does. Uh, I don't really find it boring. Now, I'm not saying that it's a thrilling story and you should have a three-part miniseries or anything like that, but it is interesting. These folks gathered from sunrise, let's say 5, 6 in the morning, till noon or so. Six or seven hours they gathered together to listen to Ezra, the teacher of the law, read the laws of Moses. Excerpts, if you will, from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And during this time, the Levites would be out and among the people because it was a crowd. And, and as Dale read for us, he's up on a platform and people could see him. But still, they might have had questions. 
And, and you know from a gathering like this, it's not really easy to ask a question. Excuse me, Pastor Mark, could you explain that a little better? I couldn't understand, right? That's not really easy. So out in amongst them, the Levites are out there. So it probably was something like he would read a passage of the law, and the Levites would gather the group that's around him. Okay, this is what this is saying, right? He'd help you interpret it, and they'd explain it a little bit for him. And that went on for six or seven hours. And some of you think it's bad if I go 22 minutes. Imagine six hours. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They had gathered, they had heard, and they were heartbroken. The text says all the men, women, and all who were able to understand had gathered. So it wasn't just the people inside the city walls. It would have been the towns and the villages just outside, people who lived outside. Everybody in the area had gathered and was there. And the people were weeping. Not just one or two per, per sons, not just this group over here and that group in the back. No, all the people were weeping. Why? Uh, it wasn't from boredom or tediousness of having Exodus read to them for six hours. But rather, as some scholars point out, that the portions read made a powerful impact on all those who were listening. All those who were listening heard and they've been convicted. Convicted of their shortcomings, of their failures to follow the law. They were brought face to face with their sin. And they were weeping and mourning. But then Nehemiah stands up. The governor, the guy who had come back and rallied the troops, right, to, to build the wall. He gets up and says, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks. And send some of those to people who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay, first off, why is this a holy day? In one of the commentaries, uh, Old Testament commentary by Keel and Delich, um, it says, the motives of this request is undoubtedly to be found in the desire of the congregation to, to keep the new moon of the seventh month as a feast of thanksgiving, for the gracious assistance they had received from the Lord during the building of the wall, and throughout which they had speedily and successfully completed the wall despite the attempts of their enemies to obstruct it. This feeling of thankfulness impelled them to the hearing of the word of God for the purpose of making his law the rule of their life. So they were weeping, probably because they were remorseful over their past sins, and how they had broken their covenant with God. They were grieving, but also they were thankful. Thankful for God's hand on and over them. It's one of those things of, I'm so sad that this happened, yet I'm so grateful at the same moment, right? That sort of thing. The idea of celebration, though, comes in because it's the time of the new moon. Now, that's that's what that enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those of nothing prepared. That's part of the celebration. Any celebration that was done where you were to have a meal prepared or stuff, if you knew someone who didn't have, you were supposed to send something to them. It wasn't just supposed to be, well, me and my family are gathering to celebrate. The heck with all the rest of you, right? It was, no, this is a community celebration. We got to make sure everybody has something. 
So if you know somebody who doesn't have something, we got to send it. So it became a community celebration. They were, they were seeing that. That comes from uh, one of the laws of Moses. You can find it in Numbers 28. It's called the New Moon Feast or the New Moon Festival. It was to happen, well, how many new moons are in a year, right? Every time. So with each bull, there is to be a drink offering <coughs> of half a hin of wine. A hin. A hin of wine is about a gallon and a half. Half a hin of wine with the ram, a third of a hin, and with each lamb, a quarter of a hymn. This is the monthly burnt offering to be made at each new moon during the year. That is what they were celebrating. That's why they were getting together. Nehemiah says something, though, I think we need to, to look a little bit at. After he talks about the new moon and that, right, he says, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. That's the celebration part, right? This day is holy to our Lord, the day that they're celebrating the new moon festival. Don't grieve. You weren't supposed to grieve during the festivals. It was supposed to be a time of celebration, of enjoying what God has done for you, of celebrating it all. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm sure you've heard that sentence before, haven't you? I mean, in years past, we used to sing it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, the joy. No, I'm kidding, all right. We may, you may have had a sign at your house, a post, or something like that. But have you really looked at that statement? Let's begin with that word strength. That word strength there, it's an interesting word. Uh, the English word translated from the Bible as strength is from a Hebrew word, M-A-O-Z, maaz. And it appears 34 times in the Old Testament. But this is the only time it's translated as strength. The other times, well, the exact definition is a mountain stronghold, a place of refuge, a fortress. The only time that Hebrew word is translated as strength is right here in Nehemiah 8.10. So maybe, maybe a, an alternative translation might be, for the joy of the Lord is your fortress. The joy of the Lord is your place of refuge. The joy of the Lord is your mountain stronghold. When I think about the joy of the Lord is my strength, it makes me at least think that it's my joy of God is my strength. It becomes about my faith and steadfastness in the faith of God. But when I realize that the joy of the Lord is my mountain stronghold, then the joy of the Lord is not about me. It's about God's joy in me. A few years ago, I went with a group of folks from this very church. We, uh, we went on a missions trip to Mexico. In Mexico, you know they have mosquitoes that are like this big? They're monstrous. They were huge. Anyways, while we're down there, we're to do this uh, a little Bible study at night. We had group time, and all the different churches that were there each went off in their own little group. And at that time, I was reading through the Minor Prophets. Yeah, I'm that guy. So I read through the Minor Prophets. I get to Zephaniah 3, and it just spoke to me about how God views you and I. I think this is what Nehemiah was getting at when, when, when he talks about that, the joy of the Lord, the joy God has about us, about those who are called by his name. Let me, let me read it for you. It's Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 12. But I will never leave you, the meek, I will leave within you, sorry, but I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will, know, they will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. 
A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I'm going to end there, but it continues on to the end of the chapter. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's the joy I think Nehemiah is talking about. That phrasing, that, that, that phrasing right there, brings to mind, at least to my mind, two images. The first is a love poem. A warrior returning home to a less than faithful spouse. But forgiveness is given. No more rebuke. And in that moment of restoration and love, the warrior bursts forth in song. Joy. The second, a father. A father who's had to discipline their child. But now it's bedtime. Takes him to bed and tucks the child in and sings a lullaby over him. A lullaby that speaks comfort, that speaks restoration, that speaks love. That's the joy of the Lord. So, from the Weber paraphrase, if you will, the joy God has for and in us is our mountain stronghold. It's about us resting in his joy, in his love, in his mercies. Despite the people's sin and their failure to keep the covenant, their refuge was in the Lord's joy. When you and I fail, when we sin, when we disobey God, our sorrow, our guilt can be eclipsed, forgiven, and we can take refuge and protection in God's joy over us. The people wept because of their sin. They were sorry. They were confessing to God. When we confess our sin and seek forgiveness, God forgives. He delights in his children and rejoices over us. This, folks, this is a powerful picture of the gospel message, of God's posture over his people. He takes joy in you. Not because of something you do, not because of some work you're doing on his behalf, but because you are his child. He takes joy in you. He rejoices over you. Back to Nehemiah. After the celebration, the people come back for day two. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. After hearing the laws read to me for about six hours or so yesterday, no, I'm a good, I don't need to be here. But these folks, they wanted more. They wanted to hear more. So in Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 13 and going through the rest of the chapter, we get the story of Ezra reading more to them. Reading and telling the law, but also telling them about celebrations, festivals that they were to keep and do, including a very one that's coming on the heels here, and that's the, fe the Feast of Booths, which they reinstituted. 
with joy, with great joy as you read that chapter. They wanted to go out right then and there. Okay, how do we do this? And they're getting instructions to go into the mountains and cut down branches. and do. They're joyous about this. They're joyful. These festivals and the law that people are hearing and experiencing their story as God's people. They're embracing it. Their identity was being rebuilt, renewed. They were being woven together as a community, a community of God's people. For us, knowing what the scriptures proclaim about our identity as sons and daughters of God is vital to our Christian life. If we think that our salvation or or God's love for us is dependent on the work we do, well, we'll either be overachievers or maybe just give up. If we think we're nothing, we're going to act like it. Or if we believe that we're not changed at all, then we continue on our old ways and our old habits, becoming ineffectual and defeated. But when we know the story of what God has done for us, and the truth of our spiritual identity, our lives should overflow with tremendous joy. Now, I could try to explain it and go through scriptures and all that, but instead, let me show you a brief video that I think does it pretty well. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? an MVP, a winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint, a sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things, none of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child. He says I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Our identity in Christ is that of sons and daughters of God. We have access to the very creator of all things. He sings over us. He sings over you. The joy God has for and in you is your mountain stronghold. That's our identity. Not exiled, not defeated, not outcast, not weak. You are a child of God. In chapter 9 of Nehemiah, the people gather again. This time to respond to all they've heard and understood from the beginning of the reading of the law. They had wept. They had repented. They had worshipped. They had celebrated. All because they heard God's word. 
God's proclamation that they were not orphans. They were his children. The spiritual renewal among the people was not just a feel-good thing. Not just, oh, I feel good because I know that. No, they changed. It was life-changing. So much so that they set aside a time for corporate fasting. A time for corporate prayer. A time for corporate praise. A time for confession. A time for petitioning God for his continued favor. They concluded their time together by pledging their future faithfulness to God's law <laughs> by signing a document. That's in Nehemiah 9.38. Chapter 10 then lists all who signed and sealed it. Signed and sealed. They were serious about this. Not just satisfied with the, yup, Ezra, I'd be doing that, okay? Nope, come up, put your name on the line. Sign here so that their neighbors and friends, those who came after them, could read their names on this contract that affirmed that God, out of his great love, has rescued them, that they would repent and follow God's decrees. Now, today, we can't go in the library over there and, and open up the old records here at the church and find a document, anything like that. Nevertheless, there is a document like that. As a believer, it has your name in it. It's referred to in the book of Revelation in chapter 13 and chapter 21. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. That same God who sent Nehemiah to rebuild the wall sent his son Jesus to this world. He made it possible for us to be in right relationship with God, not by building a wall, not by a task, but by rebuilding the covenant between God and man, Christ did that. No longer was the blood of animal sacrifices needed. Jesus' blood was the once and for all time offering. Today we're going to celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And in a similar manner that those hearing Ezra did, we need to be in that same vein. The Lord's Supper we come in mourning that our sin caused a separation from God. But out of his love, restoration is possible. Nehemiah records that the people wept when they realized that their sin had caused. We come to the table in a solemn attitude when we realize the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. When we partake in the broken bread and the cup of the new covenant, we also celebrate what God has done for us. We are no longer exiles, but are children who have returned home, where our Father finds joy in us, and in whom we have a strong refuge. Before we come to the table, let me ask you, is your name in that book? If not, you can rectify that right now. It's simply done by accepting the free gift of relationship with God that was made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus. In a few moments when we pause to pray, just ask God to come into your life. Don't worry, I'll lead that prayer. Maybe you've been a believer for a while, but you, you need to remember the joy of God's relationship in your life. The world can be a hard and cold place, I admit that. You can feel like an exile. 
with everyone out to get you. God values you. You're not an orphan. You are a child of God. Celebrate that as you come to the table. <laughs> Maybe you're beat up. You're worried that Sanballat or Tobiah is sitting out there ready to attack. Illness and loss are at your door. Know this. The joy God has for and in you is your mountain stronghold. Let's pray. Father, you sing over us. Like a spouse singing of, your, of love and joy, you sing of love and joy you find in us. You sing over us like a parent comforting a fearful child. Your song is joy. Your song is peace. Your song is strength. Your song is love. Father, we take comfort and know peace in your song over us. Father, there may be some here who are fearful this day. May they know that your joy of us is a mountain refuge for them, a place where we can go to, that we need not fear. That's not a promise that every day will be sunshine and lollipops, but rather that you are always by our side. You are always our place of safety, that you are always and forever our resting place. Father, some may not know you. They may be seeking you, seeking your refuge. For them, I pray an open heart, an open mind, and an open attitude to truly seek you. Your word says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. To those who may be seeking this day, pray this with me. You don't need to speak it out loud. God hears our heart. God, I accept your offer of forgiveness and right relationship with you because of Jesus' sacrifice. Open my heart to you. Fill me with your presence. Teach me your ways, just like those in Nehemiah's day. And Father, as we come to the table of fellowship and communion with you this day, we come solemnly and repentantly. But also, also, Father, we come in great joy, in celebration for your work for us, in us and through us. This is a holy day. And we are grateful for it and for you. Amen. We celebrate an open communion here. And what that means is no matter where you are uh, on this journey with Christ, you're welcome to the table. Whether that journey was three seconds old or 37 years old or 97 years old, whatever it is, you're welcome to the table. The table of the bread and cup is now ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Jesus became incarnate. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Merciful God, we confess that we are in need of your mercy once again. We have taken your generosity for granted 
and have tried to take advantage of your love. Always expecting your mercies, we have failed to show mercy to others. We have turned our eyes from the poor. We have hardened our hearts against those who have hurt us. We have been selfish towards those closest to us. And so we humbly come to you. We ask not only for your merciful forgiveness, but also that you would teach us mercy so we might be true reflections of you. Forgive our sins that we silently confess to you now. Let us continue our confession as we pray together the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. If you would pray with me. Our Father, Father, which which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It was Passover time, thereabouts. Jesus had sent uh, some disciples on ahead to an upper room to prepare a place for them. A place where they were going to share a final meal. All the disciples didn't know that, but Christ did. He tried to tell them, but they were busy talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He comes in, washes their feet, then comes to the table with all of them. He took bread and he broke it. He said, this bread, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. After the meal, he took the cup. This cup is my blood. The new covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance. Will those who are helping with communion, whether up on the platform or up front, would you join me at this time? We do, uh, as I said, celebrate an open communion. We do have a gluten-free option. If that is your wish, it's uh, right here in this cup. Just grab that. There are two cups, so make sure you take both. (laughs) The top one is the cup with the juice, and the bottom is the bread. We ask that you come down the middle aisles and return back on the outsides. I think that's everything. The table is now ready. The body and blood of Christ, broken, shed for you.
body and blood of Christ shed for you, my friend. The body, the bread, broken for us. We are commanded to do this in remembrance as we remember the sacrifice of Christ done for us. Do this in remembrance. The cup, the blood of Christ, that was shed for our sin, that covered our sin as a one-time offering good for forever because of who Christ was, God's own Son. Do this in remembrance. Father, we thank you for this body and blood. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. We are saddened that it had to happen, and yet we come in rejoicing, rejoicing that we are now can be called children of God. We are in right relationship with you. And for that, Father, we are joyous, we are thankful, and we celebrate. Amen. We're going to finish the service with worship. Stand together and lift our voices.
we wrap things up today, Nehemiah chapter 8. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, 
This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have a good week.